I think I got my map Bible. Yeah, that's it. And this particular map would be, if you have one like this, the, min, the missionary journeys of Paul. So I've got, it's the last, actually the last map of the set of maps in my Bible. Uh, the heading is Paul's first, second, and third missionary journeys. And as you well know, uh, Paul is ready to embark on his first missionary journey. Now, he, uh, he's, already, he's already made the first leg of that journey from Antioch. If you will um, find, well, my eyes fell to Damascus there on the eastern side of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. If you find Damascus and go north, you're going to find Antioch, and then just uh, to the west of Antioch, there's Seleucia, and I believe it was from there, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, he departed uh, for Cyprus. So uh, the last uh, study, that first 12 verses in Acts 13, uh, we have uh, Paul in Cyprus. Paul and Barnabas, I believe. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So they're in Cyprus. And then they finished up, the last we read, they were in Paphos, which is western Cyprus. And the Bible, remember, told us that they covered the island, uh, bringing the gospel to the people in Cyprus. Tonight, we're going to read the account, Luke's account, of their journey from Paphos to Perga. So they're going to go north to Perga. Uh, you can find Perga there. It's right there, uh, just a little bit northwest of Cyprus. And then from Perga, they're going to go to Antioch of Pisidia or Pisidian Antioch. So it's important to know there's two Antiochs and we want to make sure we differentiate between the two. So whenever we refer to this, the Antioch tonight, where Paul has uh, landed, we're going to say Pisidian Antioch or Antioch of Pisidia. And that is not to be confused with the Antioch from uh, which the uh, missionary journey originated, that church in Antioch where the uh, believers were first called Christians. So that's where we're headed, and we'll find our place there in chapter 13. We're at verse 13. We, uh, we noticed that in the last account on the Isle of uh, Cyprus, that we've, we've seen it, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, but no more. From here on, it's Paul and Barnabas. And we think what has happened is that Paul uh, has basically stepped forward in the leadership of this journey. And we know that John Mark was with them. Uh, tonight we'll read where John Mark has left them. He has gone back to 
Jerusalem. This is so straightforward, and there's uh, no shortage of uh, some amount of controversy over this. I, I don't usually get into all the wherefores and just the, the disagreements that are generated about different things. Some of it's just because we speculate. Sometimes it's other things. But anyway, tonight the, the big controversy was, did Paul copy Peter's Pentecost sermon when he preached this sermon? And I'm thinking, hey, there's one gospel How many ways can you say Jesus lived without sin, died on the cross, uh, was buried, rose from the dead, lives forevermore, wants to save you? I mean, how many different ways can you say this? Um, So anyway, I, I don't think Paul was copying anybody. He was just preaching the gospel. And when he preached, he got results and that's a wonderful thing. So we'll pick it up there in verse 13. Acts 13:13. 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We assume this is John Mark. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Now, this will be um, a, become a normal thing for Paul. He will arrive in a, in a town, a place, and he will find the synagogue and he will begin the ministry or the outreach there in the synagogue. And that's what he does here in Pisidian Antioch. And when there's a synagogue, we believe there's... A significant number of Jews there, or there wouldn't be a synagogue, so there's a synagogue there. And uh, he and his companions go to the uh, synagogue, and they had a seat. They sat down. After After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people... Say it. Um, at this point, uh, they've gone through their normal introduction. They're reading the law. There's some speculation on what they read. Maybe out of Deuteronomy 1. Maybe out of Deuteronomy 4. Um, and they're basing this off of what Paul preaches. Uh, because he is going to emphasize that the Savior is a descendant of King David. It's so powerful and so Christmassy uh, when you think of the genealogy uh, of Jesus. So, but they would read, they would read out of the law and then out of the prophets. Uh, There's some speculation that they may have read over there in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel with regard to King Saul or with regard to King David. Nevertheless, they read out of the law and they read the prophets and then the synagogue officials sent to them and said, Brethren, so they're talking to Paul and um, 
They said, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Well, that's an open invitation. So Paul uh, stood up. There it is in verse 16. And, and motioning with his hand. So I don't know what that would have been like. Maybe like, would he raise his hand? I don't know. But he motioned with his hand. He's about ready to speak. He has a word of exhortation for the people. So his sermon, he says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So that tells us something. It tells us about his audience. Men of Israel is a direct reference to the Jews who are in that synagogue setting. And then he says, and you who fear God, listen. So God-fearers were generally Gentiles who believed in the one God, the one true God. And they are in the synagogue, but they are not fully uh, into their all the rituals, the sacrifices, and on and on. They're, um, they're God-fearers. And Paul recognizes this and he addresses them. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And so he begins the sermon. I wonder how he would start a sermon. Uh, it's, it's remarkable. He gives a history lesson. Verse 17, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. So he's, he's gone all the way back to the end of the book of Genesis and um, the first part of Exodus. And he talks about the choice of the people by God. He says, um, he made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. So that uplifted arm, there's a reference in Exodus 6 about God's uplifted arm. Uh, Paul knows, he knows his Bible. I mean, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. Um, he, he knows his stuff and it comes out in this sermon. Says, um, and with an uplifted arm, he led them, that is the children of Israel, out from it, out of Egypt. He says, for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, we could, what were those ites? All the ites. We'll just. We'll just note the last one. The last nation to be destroyed were the Jebusites. But there's six previous, Girgashites, Hittites, on and on. So when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. So in three or four verses, Paul already has the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the land. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. So that's why some think, okay, 
they probably read from 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. Same tribe Paul was from. For 40 years. So they had Saul as king for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. That is such a sweet verse. Because he's preaching to people who, uh, in all probability, did not have that perspective. This is where that word cuts to the chase. This is where he brings the history right up to the uh, recent history. He's brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. It, that verse reminds me of, Two sermons that will be preached Sunday, God willing. (laughs) Luke chapter 2, Sunday morning, and Matthew 2, Sunday night. And both just so, just beyond applicable to us as we read about God's gift to us of Jesus. So he's the Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So here's a reference to John the Baptist. So Paul's mindful of John the Baptist. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? He says, I'm not he. Yeah, these folks were so ready for this Messiah. You know, it's got to be John. I mean, look at the crowds going out to him and look at all the Baptists. got to be John. It wasn't John. And John was emphatic. In fact, he doubled down on this by saying, I am not he, I'm not him. I am not the Messiah. I'm not worthy to, there it is. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren. I think this is the second time Paul's used the word brethren. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God. To us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And remember, this is a reference for those who live in Jerusalem, their rulers. He says they didn't recognize him. They didn't even recognize the prophecies, the utterances, he says, of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath concerning the Messiah. They, and though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. So he's talking about his death. The Messiah, this king, would die when he had carried out all that was written concerning him. 
They took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. And that first part of verse 29 is really important. They had carried out all that was written concerning him. They were part of the fulfillment of those prophecies concerning Jesus. And then they took him down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. There it is. He just, he, see, he's just preaching. He's not asking questions. He's just cutting to the chase, just talking truth to the people. And for many days, he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. For many days, he appeared. Paul's just walking them right through this ministry of Jesus. The very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, verse 35, he also says in another psalm, the one which we read, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. Psalm 16. For David, after he had served, now Paul's going to explain this. David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. He says, not King David, not talking about King David. He was buried and he underwent decay. But this prophecy is about another one, a descendant of David. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, there it is, that through him... Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. What is our need? Our need is the forgiveness of sins. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. What a promise. Therefore, take heed. So that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Well, you know, obviously, what was it, Paul? They're on the edge of their seats. What was spoken of the prophets that could come upon us? There it is in verse 41. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, I love this part. The people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. You know what the the truth of it is? The gospel never gets old. It just never gets old. The scriptures never get old. And uh, they they wanted to hear it again and again and again. And now when the, the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. 
Well, that sounds like a wonderful outcome in a very straightforward uh, sermon, glorifying Jesus as the one who came, who lived, died, rose again from the dead, all that we would be forgiven of our sin. Forgiveness of sin. That's why Jesus came. Well, we'll pray and we'll, well, we're a little tardy tonight. We'll get going. Uh, I love this time of year. It's a beautiful time. I hope you're enjoying it and uh, that we can, hmm, well, continue to magnify Jesus. Father in heaven, we thank you for the evening together um, spent in prayer and in good fellowship with one another. And there's uh, such a unity, Lord, among us that it cannot be humanly manufactured. It comes just from you. And we thank you for that unity, uh, that oneness of mind and heart toward Christ. Uh, as we go our separate ways tonight, we want to pray good rest on all the families, everyone here, the families represented. And Lord, we want to say, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.